All right. Wow, that woke us up, didn't it? I like that, man. I was about to fall asleep before that. And now it's your turn. <laughs> Anybody need some sheets? I see that uh, some good-looking ladies would like to serve you in that way. Just get your hand up and... While they're doing that, let me go ahead and get started. Um, now, normally at this point, you hear me preaching, I'd be doing that old crusty Pastor Mark thing. So by now you're probably wondering, what's going on? Because this is really starting to sound like one of those rap songs. Well, let me tell you what the boy's up to. You see, I like rap music and the beatbox group, but sometimes I gotta admit, I close all the doors and wave my arms around and I pace the floor, but then I crack up laughing. I gotta stop and just face the facts. The boy don't hip hop. You see, I grew up in a state where the sun do shine. If it's gonna be believable, it's gotta be mine. Like we had time for that, right? <laughs> yeah, man, this is, uh, this is just fun to be able to be with like-minded folks. Isn't that a cool thing, y'all? Really, and uh, everybody that has come to minister to us has done just that, man. They have, they have ministered to us. I thought I might... Uh, start tonight with that little bit of that levity because, uh, man, when it comes to our mission, this is something really, really serious, y'all. I, 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 I wish that I, that I had the words to communicate the seriousness of this thing. Because do you realize tonight that if we were going to take the lost people on this planet, and let's just say, you know, this is, this is New Year's Day, we're all here together, let's just say we started right down here in front of this pulpit, and we were going to start lining up the lost people on this planet, all of them that are, not that have ever lived, but that are just living right now, and we were to them right up next to each other. Do you understand that to get the lost people on this planet right now in that line, that we'd start here and then we would head east and that line would go all the way through St. Louis, all the way through Indianapolis, Indiana, all the way through Columbus, Ohio, all the way to Philadelphia, all the way to New York City. And when we got to New York City, we'd have to somehow get that line to cross the, the Atlantic and come into Europe and all across Russia, all across Asia, all across China, all across the Pacific, all the way around to California and from California through Denver, all the way back to right here. But if we were gonna get all the lost people in that line, we'd have to start another line. And it too would stretch all the way around the globe. And when we got back here to this pulpit, we'd have to start another line. And it too would stretch all the way around the globe, and if we were gonna get all the lost people in that line, do you understand we'd have to cover the globe 27 times? And the question that I have for you tonight as we begin our notes, we're maybe a little behind there. The question for introspection that I have for you tonight is what is my minimal responsibility to the people in that line. What is my minimal responsibility to the people in that line? And listen, my brothers and sisters, I realize 
that you can't do everything about it any more than I can do everything about it. But I do want you to know that based on the authority of the word of God, if the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us of sin and he by his spirit has taken up residence inside of us and we genuinely are followers of Jesus Christ, I do want you to understand, we have a responsibility to the people in that line. And I wanna make sure that you hear that again. We have a responsibility to the people in that line. God has given each of us a destiny to fulfill in world missions. And by that, I, I certainly don't mean that, that every one of us is quote unquote called to cross a body of salt water in the name of Jesus and spend the rest of our lives as career missionaries on some foreign field. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I will tell you this. I am definitely and emphatically saying that when it comes to our mission, you and I have a destiny to fulfill. I believe that every single person in this room, including the guy running his mouth, we have a personal assignment that God has for us, a role in this mission that is unique to us. There is some specific something that God wants us to accomplish in our generation and your generation, a lot of you, because I'm about to start pushing up daisies here, man. But all of us have a destiny to fulfill in world missions. Do you believe that? And I believe in the very near future that at our face-to-face -face encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ at his judgment seat, it is gonna reveal to each of us the role we could have had. And more than that, y'all, the role we should have had. But do you realize when we stand there, it'll be too late to do anything about it? And, and, and I think you understand that's the reason that we do this, that mission focus to allow the Lord to challenge us before we get to the judgment seat to make sure that we fulfill that particular intention that he has for our lives when it comes to his mission. And so once again, as we're getting started tonight, I wanna just ask you, what is my minimal responsibility to the billions of lost people that are alive and breathing the same air that we're breathing tonight, alive on this planet? What is it that God wants you to do in this thing? And that leads to the second thing I wanna make sure that we're recognizing tonight. And that is that fulfilling the mission is totally connected to our fellowship. I didn't say fellowship, though that's certainly a part of our fellowship. I said fellowship. Fulfilling our mission is totally connected to our fellowship. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Do you remember when Jesus called his disciples in Matthew chapter four and verse 19? Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of, of men. And of course he's talking about the fact that if they would follow him, he would cause them to be effective 
in reaching people with the gospel, people who, like those he was calling them, would become his followers and thus his disciples. But I want you to notice in Matthew 4.19 that Jesus says to his would-be disciples and to us that if you are truly following, I will, and what are the next two words? Make you fishers of men. Do you hear what he's saying? That fishing for men will simply be the very basic outgrowth and outpouring and outworking of following Jesus. Leaving us to conclude, and this is in your notes, that if we aren't fishing, we aren't following. Because reaching people, fishing for men, just comes part and parcel with following Christ. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so we've got to recognize that fulfilling our mission is totally connected to our fellowship, which leads to the second question for introspection, and that is, if fishing is an indication of following, what does that tell me about how I'm actually following Jesus? And I know you're writing, but are you hearing that, my brothers and sisters? If we're not fishing, we may need to back that up and examine how we're following since if we follow, he will make us fishers of men. And with that in mind, I think there's, there's something that we might be able to learn from the fellowship that Jesus is looking for us to have from his encounter with three men in Luke chapter 9. And as we 21st century folk look at these first century folk, you know, one of the things that stands out to me is that the more that things change in the world, you know what I'm about to say? The more they stay the same. Because it would certainly seem to me that these three first century men and their fellowship of Jesus sure does look a whole lot like our Followership of Jesus in the 21st century. Now, I, I think that most of us in this room were pretty familiar with this story, but the way that it shakes out, there's three guys in this passage, and all three of these guys have every intention of being one of Jesus' faithful followers. And, and as I read you the story, I want, I want you to notice that Jesus dialogues with each of them about this thing of following him and what that really means and what it looks like in real life. And I also want you to notice that all three of these guys, listen, just like, I, I can think it's safe to say on New Year's night, just like every person in this room, these three guys acknowledge not only that Jesus is the Lord, but they acknowledge that Jesus is their Lord. And let's pick up in verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but... The son of man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at, at home at my house. 
And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. To which I say, wow. <laughs> because are you hearing what Jesus is actually saying here, man? He's saying in verse 58, he, he says, yeah, man, I, I want you to follow me. But do you understand that for you to do that, it may mean that you end up homeless. And he's saying in verse 60, yeah, man, I want you to follow me. But do you understand that to actually do that, it may just mean that somebody else is going to bury your daddy. Verse 61, he's, I, I want you to follow me, but do you understand that to actually do that, you're probably not even going to be able to say goodbye to your family. And in every case, what Jesus is trying to face these people with is, if that's what it means to follow, are you still in? And did you notice the response? Again, all, all three of these guys acknowledged, at least with their lips, Christ's lordship. But I want you to look again at the craziness that's in here. The guy in verse 59 says, sure, I'll follow you. I mean, who wouldn't? But Lord, suffer or allow me first to go and bury my father. And do, do, you, do you see the oxymoron there, y'all? You see the contradiction? But to, in one breath, he's saying, Lord, and in the very same breath, he is saying, me first. Wait, what? I mean, doesn't calling Jesus Lord, doesn't that mean you first? And not only you first, but you only? And the guy in verse 61 does the same exact thing. Look at it again, verse 61. Lord, I will follow thee, but here it is again. Let me first. And I want to say, are you kidding me, dude? Until I step back and look at my own life. Because I, I just got to tell you, y'all, I can pray me some pretty lofty sounding prayers where I use the word Lord a lot. You know, everybody's got their little, you know, thing they call the Lord when they're praying. You know, some people it's, and God, or, and Jesus, or Father God. Well, my, my term of choice is Lord. You know, I, I overdo the Lord thing, and Lord, and Lord. And I got to tell you, man, I, I just sound pretty doggone eloquent when it comes to calling him Lord when I'm praying. And I can be in a room like this or in my house, and I, I can sing me some pretty awesome songs that have everything to do with my absolute surrender to him as Lord. When I'm witnessing to folks, man, man, you ought to hear me. I, I, oh, I can nail it, man. Oh, dude, Jesus is, he's the Lord, and he's the only Lord. And yet, if you really want to know the truth, I, I'm, I'm not so sure that I'm a whole lot different than the three guys in Luke chapter 9. Because I, I will tell you this, the thing that has kept me through the years from following Jesus the way that he intends to be followed and just totally going for it and very calculatedly and yet very recklessly throwing my life at him is that stinking me first mentality. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? And, and listen, regardless of what we want to call that me first mentality and regardless of how we want to rationalize it and justify it, 
The fact is, Lord and me first are by their very nature mutually exclusive. And again, I say to you, our mission is totally connected to our fellowship. And maybe the reason that we aren't fulfilling our mission of fishing for men is because we're not following Jesus the way he intends to be followed. And listen, man, I'll give you what Jesus is letting us know in this passage is that to follow him is pretty extreme. And that is the rub. Because in the last days, we don't want to be too extreme. I, I mean, we definitely don't want to be cold. I mean, we, we don't want to be that kind of extreme. But we don't want to be hot either. We don't want to be that extreme. And is this not precisely the indictment that Jesus has on us in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16? Those of us living in this Laodicean church period, that we don't want to be too extreme. Though what the passage says is that that's what he's looking for from us. Did you know, are you hearing that when he says, I would thou wert extreme? <laughs> Rather than just sitting in the middle, I'd rather you go one way or the other, man. I'd rather you be stinking cold. I want you to be hot. But ooh, that lukewarm stuff just makes me want to hurl. That's in the Greek. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5 says, says it this way, y'all. We want a form of godliness, but we still want to reserve the right to deny the power thereof. We're going to hold on to some part of our life because we don't want to be too extreme because ugh, people won't think I'm cool. At the end of the previous verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4, we want to be able to somehow convince ourselves that we are lovers of God, even though we are more lovers of pleasure. And it's all because of verse 2 in this same passage. It's not just because we love someone or something more than God is that we love someone more than God and that someone just happens to be our own sorry selves. And all God's people said, oh me. We call him Lord we don't even hear how many times in a week we say, if not with our lips, certainly by our life, let me first. And listen, y'all, it is that me first mentality that keeps us from following Jesus the way he intends to be followed, which subsequently keeps us from fishing, which subsequently keeps us from fulfilling our mission. And so I think there might be some things that we can learn from these three guys that approach Jesus in Luke chapter 9. And the question for introspection here is, in what ways have I been communicating to Jesus a me-first mentality? Man, this is the first day of a new year. Look back over your shoulder and just see. Is that what 2018 was riddled with in your life? Calling him Lord and yet at the same time, me first. The next thing I want you to see is that there's also some things that we can learn about what true fellowship is from the three men in the parable of the Great Supper. 
And I want you to notice that in Luke chapter 14, Jesus says in verses 16 and 17 that there was a certain man who was hosting a great supper. And I don't want to get into all of the, you know, the nation of Israel and the Gentile thing, that, you know, all of that. We're looking at this from a very devotional, inspirational standpoint. Okay, but listen, to understand what's going on here, you got to understand that the certain man in this story is Jesus. It's him. And by his invitation to this great supper, he's letting us know that the only true satisfaction in life is found in partaking of him because only then can our dead spirits be brought to life and only then can the God-shaped vacuum inside of us be filled. And so the invitation to the supper is actually to come to Jesus for salvation. And allow him then to fill our lives with his fullness. I think the way that Jesus may have said it in John 10, 10 is that I've come to give you life and to give it to you more. And in the midst of all of that, partaking of him, finding our satisfaction in him and going for him, for the rest of our lives. And so he sends out his servant in verse 17. And the servant, of course, is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, come, for all things are now ready. And yet what happens is everybody sends back word that I'd really love to come, but you know, there's some extenuating circumstances going on in my world right now. And I want us to look at this and just see if maybe there isn't something that the Spirit of God might want to say to some of us about what it is that might be interfering with our fellowship. The first guy in verse 18, well, he, he couldn't go for it because, for crying out loud, man, he had bought a piece of land and he needed to go look at it. And I'm sure that he appreciated the invitation, but the truth is the supper really just wasn't all that inviting to him because his needs were being satisfied by all his stuff. And you know what he was doing? The first guy was relishing in his riches. I, I, we may be just a little bit behind. Go to a red slide. Oh, maybe... Yeah, there, there, no, yeah, keep going that way. There, next one, there we go. He couldn't go for it because he's relishing in his riches. Then Jesus said that there was another guy who couldn't go for it in verse 19 because he had bought five yoke of oxen and needed to prove them. And, and you know why he couldn't go for it? because he was climbing in his career. And listen, in that agricultural world of the first century, do you understand that five yoke of oxen was like that tractor that, yeah. that, that Pastor Chris was showing us just a few minutes ago. Man, with five yoke of oxen, things were just about to open up for this guy as far as business was concerned. And I'm sure that he appreciated the invitation, but ooh, drop this for that not right now and then Jesus said there was another guy who couldn't go for it in verse 20 because he had just gotten married and you know why he couldn't go for it it was because he was focusing on his family and, and I'm sure that this this guy thought, oh man, yeah, that sounds great and all, but uh, you know, there's going to be a, a, another time that'll be better than now for that kind of stuff. And like I said earlier, y'all, what I see in this passage is that people haven't changed too much through the years because let me just ask you, wouldn't you say that those 
things that these guys just said, are those not the top three things that people who claim to be Jesus followers, it just, those are the things that keep us from just absolutely throwing our life at him and throwing our life at the mission and totally going for it. Yeah, we, we totally go for it, but we're too preoccupied with relishing in our riches. I mean, life is too good to think about what God could really do with our life and wants to do with our life in terms of the mission. I mean, we find too much enjoyment in our beautiful homes and our fancy cars and our clothes and all of our big boy toys. And yeah, we would just totally go for it in terms of our fellowship and in terms of fulfilling the mission. But we're too preoccupied with climbing in our career. I mean, wow. You know, I, I know the economy isn't great right now, but man, the things that are happening right now, oh buddy, I think I'm right on the brink of being able to come into my own. And, and so man, I, I, right now I've got to put my nose to the grindstone because I can't miss this opportunity. And yeah, we would just totally go for it. I mean, totally go for Christ. Totally go for the mission. But we're too preoccupied with focusing on our family or our potential family. And, and this, is, this takes on all kinds of different faces, y'all. You see, when you're, when you're in high school or you're in college or you're a, a young adult, you tell yourself, oh yeah, there, there's coming a day when I'm going all in. I mean, I, there's coming a day when I'm totally gonna go for it, but I wanna get married first. And then once you get married, you tell yourself, yeah, I'm gonna go for it. But I, 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 first of all, we wanna have kids. And then once you have kids, you don't have time to go for it. And so you tell yourself that you're going to totally go for it once the kids are grown and married. And then once your kids are grown and married, it's, let me just tell you, it's grandkids. And once that happens, you totally go for them. And your mission becomes spending as much time with them before you croak. And we'll all end up one day at the judgment seat of Christ. If I understand it correctly, we all get the opportunity of walking all the way through our life from the time that we were saved until the time we got there. And we'll get there one day and walk back through our lives and see what we did go for. And we'll see what we missed. And, and you know what I began to notice as I was looking at these verses and pondering these verses? I, I put this in your notes. That what actually keeps people from totally going for it in terms of their fellowship isn't God's adversaries. It's God's blessings. Are you hearing that? Listen, owning property and houses and cars and clothes, hey, those are God's blessings, right? Having a job and an opportunity for advancement and financial security, it's the blessing of God, brother. Having a family and great relationships is one of the greatest blessings that God could bestow upon anybody, man. But the biblical reality is houses and riches are wonderful blessings. They just happen to be lousy gods. And setting our sights on acquiring them, y'all, is an unbelievably shallow mission. Our job and our career, it's a great blessing, 
but oh my goodness, is it a lousy God? And we'll find out at the judgment seat of Christ, it was a tremendously unrewarding mission, regardless of how rewarding it was in this life. Spouses and children and grandchildren are unbelievable blessings, but they are lousy gods, and God never intended for them to become the mission. I don't know, maybe, maybe we all just need a refresher course on the very first of the Ten Commandments. Do you remember what it, what is, what it was? Thou shalt have... No other gods before me. And let, isn't, isn't this what Christianity was about? I mean, isn't it, isn't it this? Isn't Christianity, I mean, just basic Christianity? Isn't it coming into a relationship with the God of the universe and him becoming to us our absolute everything so that no sacrifice for him could possibly be too great or even a thought for that matter. Is that Christianity all? Just basic Christianity? Which leads to the next question for introspection. Is there anything interfering with my fellowship and thus me fulfilling my mission. This is mission focus. And, and I'm afraid that if all we do is just focus totally on the mission and don't talk about the fellowship part, we're never gonna get there because there's too many things interfering. And as you look over your shoulder, look over your life, and maybe just bring it into the recent 2018, was riches the me first? Your career the me first? The family, or again, your potential family, was that the me first? And I'd like to take you on a... I'll try to do this as quickly as I can, but I want to show you some examples tonight. I mean, we've, we've, we've seen us in the parable of the Great Supper and these three dudes that come to him in Luke chapter 9, but maybe could we just take a look at some positive examples, man, of people who did Totally go for Jesus and totally go for his mission. First of all, how about the disciples in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22? Listen to it. And Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee and saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And again, I, wanna, I want you to focus on verse 20 again. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Look again at the response of James and John in verse 22. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And, and, and listen, the, the response of these guys is, it, it's one thing if you think that he was calling them away from their hobby or their little pastime. But do you understand that fishing wasn't their little hobby? It wasn't what they did for kicks. It was their career. It was their livelihood. And when they left their nets, you understand they were leaving their paycheck. 
They were leaving their security. They were leaving their home. They were leaving the life that they had created for themselves. This was as big a deal for them as it is to any of us. And they knew it. And, and having full knowledge of what it meant, I want you to notice their response. There's no hesitation. There's no reservation. There's no contemplation or deliberation or negotiation. The only thing there is is total subordination. And with every fiber of their being, they said, this is what I'm throwing my life at. I'm throwing my life at the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going in and I'm going for it. Again, I ask you, my brothers and sisters, what happened to that brand of Christianity? And how about my boy, Saul, whose name God changed to Paul? In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, and, and let, me just, let me just put it on rewind for just a second and make sure that we're all understanding that in the middle of the first century, if there was a young man who was destined for rock star status in the Roman Empire, it was a Jew with a familial and religious pedigree that could not be rivaled, a brainiac that had been educated by the greatest minds of his day, a guy who from a worldly standpoint had an incredibly bright future ahead of him and Jesus calls him out one day while he's on his way to show how zealous he was for God and for Judaism by beating the devil out of people that believe the same thing that all of us believe in this room and listen as soon as Jesus called him out you know what he does he not only drops to his hands and his knees He drops his entire life. We're not talking about some two-bit guy that didn't have anything going. A guy unlike any human in the first century that said, that's it. And <laughs> From that day forward, you don't see him dinking around with money and houses and jobs and careers and marriage and children and all that. Okay, let, let me just say this. I, I do realize that I am married. I have a responsibility to my family, and I drive a car, and I wear clothes and all of that. Okay, so obviously there's that. blessings we got to make sure they're not what hallelujah <laughs> this dude Paul never let me first <laughs> verse 6 he's, I'm going in man I'm going for it Lord what wilt thou have me to do and I mean, he got it, y'all. He, he understood that God's call on his life meant that he was no longer his own because he was bought with a price and it would no longer be about him, but it would all be about Jesus and it would all be about his mission. You see, there wasn't a, a single part of Paul, Saul at the time that was looking to simply add Jesus onto his life and, and, and allow Jesus to dust him off a little bit and pat him on the rear end and get back in the game, son, and let me sanctify you just a little bit. No, he understood that God's call on his life was a game changer. It meant the transformation of his desires and his dreams and his goals and his aspirations and his pursuits, man. Paul got it. And you know what he did, y'all? He spent the entire rest of his life until they lopped off his head trying to get people like me and you to get it. He did everything 
he could in the New Testament to get you and me to understand. Oh, would you listen? That with this thing of life, y'all, that we all only get one shot. I mean, just read it. He begged and pleaded with us to understand that we all have one shot to get this life thing right. There's no redo. We get one shot to make a difference. We get one shot to prepare for eternity. One shot to invest in eternity. One shot to prove the sincerity of our love. And while we spend our time with the me first, and we spend our time with the call of God upon our lives with all of our hesitations, and you, you want me to go through all these Asians again? Reservations, deliberations. While we're going through all of that, the world's still spinning, the clock's still ticking, the game's still being played, the war's still raging, the battle's still being fought, and every three seconds that we delay, five more people in that line drop off into a godless and Christless eternity. And you know, you just gotta, you just gotta wonder what would happen if every person that's in this room tonight, that every person that names his name, if we responded like Paul and like the disciples did with the call of the Lord Jesus Christ for us to go for it. And we could actually come to some place in our life where we fully understood that we know the verse, but we really understood that our life is not our own. And so we offered it back to him in absolute surrender. And we trusted the spirit of Christ in us to do something through us in terms of his mission that is just absolutely crazy. And, and what if... God began to do through us some things that would challenge other churches and other believers and other parts of the world to yield their lives. And they began to trust Christ to do something off the chain in terms of his mission. I mean, what if we got it the way that Adoniram Judson got it, y'all? And if the name Adoniram Judson isn't familiar to you, I would suggest that somewhere along the way you read up on him. Adoniram Judson was an American missionary who, who served in Burma for 40 years. And if you want a little insight into how he got it, let me just take a second to read an excerpt from a letter that he wrote to the father of the young lady that he had fallen in love with. And he's wanting to get permission from her dad to marry her knowing God's call on his life to go to the world to reach people with the gospel. And, and I want you to imagine your son or your grandson writing this letter or receiving a letter like this from the guy who wants to marry your daughter or your granddaughter. This, this is what he wrote to his potential father-in-law. I, I have now, of course he speaks, you know, real English. I, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to see her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of the perishing immortal souls 
for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? I I say the boy got it. And you know what I've noticed, y'all? I, I've noticed as the, you, you know, we, we look at the, the disciples and we look at Paul and we think, well, yeah, they're bigger than life. And, you know, okay, let's forget them. Let's just talk about people like Adoniram Judson and such. And, and you know what I've noticed as I've studied history and read their stories? They all came to some tipping point. Some place in time that became the line that God drew in the sand and it was the line of demarcation. Do you, do you know the line of demarcation? It's a, it's a, a term when, when a, a nation has declared war against another nation, the line of demarcation is that place where that when you cross over, you're in and there's no turning back. And it's weird. It would appear that God works in people's lives to bring them to a place. That's that line of demarcation. Would you listen to the tipping point and testimony of stepping over the line of demarcation of Jonathan Edwards? Listen to this. On January 12th, 1723, and what I want you to notice, he knew the day. It was that big of an event. On January 12th, 1723, I made a solemn dedication of myself to God and wrote it down, giving up myself and all that I had to God to be for the future in no respect my own, to act as one that had no right to be himself in any respect and solemnly vowed to take God for my whole portion and felicity, which is to say my sole source of satisfaction. Looking on nothing else as any part of my happiness, nor acting as if it were in his law for the constant rule of my obedience, engaging to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil to the end of my life. That's it. I'm done dinking around. Betty Stam, the wife of John Stam, she was, they were American missionaries to China. I want you to listen to the prayer that she wrote as she stepped over the line of demarcation. Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my own desires and hopes, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all utterly to thee to be thine forever. Fill me and seal me with thy Holy Spirit. Use me as thou wilt. Send me where thou wilt and work out thy will in my life at any cost and forever. And in 1934, communists came into China and martyred her. John Wesley, the father of Methodism, came to that line of demarcation and he said, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly Yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. Man, I, I don't have time for the, the next one, C.T. Studd. I will tell you this, I wish that was my name. Um, <laughs> M.T. Studd, I'm going to change my name. 
I, I wish we had the time to, to look at that, but let me, let me just give you one more and, and I'll shut up. Uh, a man by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman, uh, he interviewed uh, William Booth. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. Now, for you know, most of us, Salvation Army is that little bend in the parking lot that you throw stuff at that you don't want. You know, well, when the Salvation Army started, and of course, we're local church people, but I will tell you, Salvation Army reached millions of people yeah. with the gospel. And William Booth was a stallion. And so J. Wilbur Chapman is interviewing him and he says to him, what is the key to all of this? How did God use a simple man to accomplish so much? And this is what J. Wilbur Chapman wrote about his answer. He hesitated for a second. And I saw the tears come into his eyes and steal down his cheeks. And then he said, I'll tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of the world on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. And please don't, don't pack up. I'm almost done. I just want to simply ask you this tonight, my brother and sister. Are you at a place to where you believe that you, the Lord Jesus Christ has all the adoration of your heart, all the power of your will, all of the influence of your life. And one final question for introspection. Is tonight my tipping point? We, we might could say, is this conference your tipping point? Will this be the day? Will this be the night when you step over the line of demarcation? Pastor Sam. I want to call you to give your life to Christ and to be done with the excuses and the reasons and the logic for why you can't just yield, why you can't just give over and give it all to God for his glory, for his will. I want to call you to give your life to Christ. And so we're going to just clear off a little bit of space and uh, we want to make room for you to 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 yield, to surrender, to come to the place where you can, you can yield, you can give your life to Christ and say, Jesus isn't my Lord in name only, he's my Lord in reality. Um, we're going to pray, and um, uh, Brian, are you here? Okay. Oh, okay, sweet. We're going to pray. Is there anyone that would say, Pastor, pray for me? I need, I need to yield my life to Christ. I need to quit playing at it. 
Uh, I need to yield to the power of God over my life, to the person of God over my life. I need to be done with the excuses. I need to be done with the me first mentality. I just need to be done with that. And, and tonight I need, I need to yield. Father, you see our hands. And um, Lord, I pray that uh, raised hands, that, that that is truly representative of a work in our heart. Uh, that we wouldn't just say that uh, you're Lord, but that, uh, that raised hands would turn into uh, yielded hearts and lives and, and feet that will follow wherever you lead, however you lead, God, in any way that you call, uh, that uh, we'd gladly abandon ourselves, we'd gladly give ourselves, uh, that, Lord, our lives would serve you. And so, Father, um, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters and and um, God, let us be done with the excuses. Let us be done with our reasons. Let us be done with our bitterness and our anger and uh, our logic against why we can't just be simply yielded to you, why we can't prepare ourselves, um, why we can't give our lives to being equipped, why we can't, why we can't uh, engage in the work that you called us to, all of those things that... that um, you know, Satan will trick us and he'll allow us to think our logical reasons for why our lives aren't really submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Lord, let, it be, let, let us be done with that. Let us be um, willing to put that away. And so, God, give us your grace to just yield to your Lordship, we pray in Jesus' name. If God's dealing with your heart, you come. <clears throat>